Open your Bibles up to uh, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to finish this chapter this week, which is exciting. <clears throat> Our 69th week in the book of Exodus. So we'll be starting in verse 18. And today's study is called Show Me Your Glory. What is... Well, I can't talk before we pray. I got to pray. Just talked about praying and I didn't even do it. Look how self-sufficient I am. Gosh, I got to pray. Jesus, we, we come before you, God. We, we approach your throne of grace um, and we ask that you would pour down on us your spirit and your wisdom and your, um, your, your love. We need to know um, you in a very, very deep way. And we can't do that in natural ways. We can't do that with our natural mind. We need your spirit to open the doors of our heart and our understanding. We need to open, we need you to do all that work. But we can come before you in humility and we can ask you in faith uh, to, to teach us now from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What is the glory of the Lord? It's a good question. That's a, a Christianese word that we toss around all the time. The glory of the Lord. We sang a whole bunch of songs that said, you know, you give me glory. I give you glory. Glory, glory, glory. What in the world does that mean? It's a very church word. Uh, we don't use glory, the glory of the Broncos. Like we just don't toss around that term uh, now. And I think as we answer that question, I'm going to do it like this. All of us reach a crisis in our life. A crisis where it's a moment where uh, we have to clearly answer for ourselves this question. What am I doing with my life? What am I pursuing? What am I going after? What, where am I going? What is going on? Maybe it's a career crisis where you're like, I don't want to set tile anymore for the rest of my life. And it's a crisis. <laughs> He's in that crisis right now. I don't want to... I don't want to be a broker. I don't want to, you know, do whatever your job is. What am I doing? Or maybe it's in school where you have that crisis. Like, what major am I going to go after? And you're just, ah, you know. Sometimes marriage brings us this crisis. The point where we get, this is just too hard. I, I need to give up or I need to leave or those are some of my options. What, what am I going to do at that moment? Or marriage, sometimes we ask, why am I still here? Maybe it's in ministry where you're like, what, is, what am I called to do? I know I want to serve God. I, I have plans and vision, but I don't know what I'm really called to do. And is God really with me? Because it doesn't look like God's with me. Sometimes just life, just sometimes you just feel without purpose or lost. Like, what am I really here for? And we might feel like this crisis is, is difficult and this, these crises, Christ, Christ I? What's the plural? Crisis? Crises. Thank you, English majors. We might feel like these crises are something to be avoided at all costs. But I'm going to suggest to you guys today that these crises are a gift from God. And they're given for the purpose of refining us from the inside out. That God has a plan for your crisis. So I hope that, that you have kind of had a thought, what is my crisis? Maybe I went through crisis in the past. Maybe I have a little bit of a crisis going on right now. Hold on to that. 
God has a purpose for it. And I can prove it to you here. God has brought this crisis into your life on purpose, and it's not an accident. Nothing ever happens on accident to you. All the horrible things that you think are just terrible, God has a purpose for them. And I can prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 4.7. You can see it probably on the screen. Maybe. We'll see. What? 2 Corinthians 4.7. I'll read it to you. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Not that one. <laughs> for 17. I said 7. I meant 17. Don't listen to me. Listen to what I mean, not what I say. Come on. <laughs> what is So glory, it says our trials are working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And, and that's where we're going to get our definition. What is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord means weight. And that's weird. That's not what I think of when I say this is glorious pizza. I don't think this is heavy pizza. But that's what the word means. And what it really means is it has substance. It can also mean it has a brightness. It has a rarity, a value, a worth. Did you know that coins used to measure by their weight? Like a pound, right? Like a coin used to measure a weight of value. And so the Hebrew word for this, here's your Hebrew word of the day, is kabod. Everyone say kabod. That's right. Get, really get the phlegm going, and you'll, you'll, you'll sound much better. So weight of glory. Our trials, our crisis is working out, is, is making us understand how worth it God is. His worthiness, his glory is, is coming into us as we go through trials, okay? Now I'm going to read another verse, and this is our memory verse for the day. This is our, our focus verse. This is something so important. It's Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27. you got to probably see this in your Bible and highlight it because it's one of those verses that just needs to stick with us for our whole life. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed, that means he wanted, right, to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice he doesn't say the feelings of glory. Hope is, is very different than feelings. God, it says here, God desires for us to know how valuable and how wonderful this mystery is of Jesus living inside you. He wants you to know it. He doesn't care if you feel it. But how many times do we live our life based on how we feel? Guys, feelings are lies, like 99% of the time. They are not true. And so God here says, I want you to know how amazing I am, but I want you to know it in the hope of glory. Hope in the Bible means a confident expectation of what's coming or what's real. But it's something, in, it's a lot more connected with faith than feelings. Hope is connected with faith, not feelings. God desires us for us to know how wonderful this mystery is. Um, he wants us to know what we're, what we're looking at, what this glory is. It's all summed up in that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, that's the big lesson for today. I'm giving it to you at the beginning. We'll catch it again at the end. Christ in you, 
is the hope of glory or that confident expectation that this matters, what we're doing, why we're here. Jesus is the glory of the Lord. And Jesus lives where? In you. In you. Okay? Now, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And we're going to see our bro, Moses. He has got it right. He has, he has gone through so many things with God. We've seen him just, just dealing with these people and their sin, and he has interceded for them, and he's, he's secured God's blessing and God's favor for these people because Moses is a picture of Christ. Now, Moses, he knows how much he needs God, and he's been very clear that he will not leave this place in the desert unless God goes with him. He's not going to leave. He says, I'm very convinced that I need you, God. And God said, yeah, I'm going to go with you, Moses. I will go with you. And then Moses, he takes it a step further now this week. And uh, he, he knows there's, there's these things that only God can supply and and he's, he knows that God will meet all his needs, but he wants to go deeper. He wants to, he wants to actually see the glory of the Lord. He knows that God will give him everything he needs, but he has a problem. He, his problem is, how do I get the stuff I need from God? I need it, but how do I get it? I'm empty and he's full, so how do I get all the stuff that I need from God. And the stuff that we need from God, that, that God has, it, it's real, it's heavy, it's legit, it's valuable, it's wonderful, it's weighty. It is his glory. We need his glory in us. It's called glory. Again, what is our definition of glory? Weight, heaviness, value. I, I love to describe it like this. The difference between glory and, and non-glory is like steak versus cotton candy. Cotton candy is fun to eat, but are you ever satisfied after eating cotton candy? No, it's like they give you, no matter how big the bag is that they give you, you're just, just as hungry afterwards. You're just more hyper. Your kids are anyway, and it's all over you. But a steak, you know, a steak will really satisfy you. So here's a question. Here's our question, and it's this, it's, I'm rephrasing what Moses is doing here for us. How can I possibly give up everything I have to follow Christ? Why would I do that? How can I renounce all other sources of life and joy? How can I give up on my, my job, my relationships, everything in this life, and have Christ alone? Like Jesus said, we have to, right? He says, you have to give up all you have to follow me or you can't be my disciple. And that's a really important question. How do we get to that point where we are willing to pick up our cross, die to everything we hope and expect in this life, and follow him alone? We need to see how glorious he is. We need to see his glory that's how we will do it. And that's the only way we will do it is when we see that he is worth it. He's worth it. He's more important than what you have going on. He's more important than your career, 
your marriage, your kids, and everything else you hold valuable and dear, he is more glorious than those things. Why do most church kids walk away from the faith? Because they got the cotton candy version of God. The one without glory. The one that's light and fluffy and non-satisfying, not the steak, not the satisfying, heavy treasure beyond compare. That's why. They need to see how glorious God is. We need to see how glorious God is. I need to see what the big deal is. I need to know more. I need to know deeply. This is what Moses is longing for right here in our story. He wants to taste and see that God is good and satisfying. He needs to see, why am I going through all this crud with the children of Israel? They complain against me. They hate me. They're awful to me. Why am I going to continue through hardship? Why am I going to persevere when it's difficult? Why am I going to pick up my cross and follow Christ when it's hard? And when it doesn't look like I get anything and God says, oh, you get something. You get me and my glory. So let's read our text. Ready? 18, we'll read a couple verses here. And he said, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So we're going to reset. What is the glory of the Lord? It's the weight and worth of God. His heaviness, the the brightness. It's what makes God the best thing in the universe. The scientific description of how much of weight is basically how much stuff is packed into a specific object. Again, coins used to be measured by how much matter was in them, and that produces weight, how much weight. And Moses wants to see all that God is. He wants to taste and see that he is good. My question to you guys today is, do you? Do you really want to see his glory? Do you want to know how amazing he is? Because I guarantee you, you will give up everything else if you do. And I'm not sure all of us want to give up everything else. And God will wait to reveal his glory to us until we're like, you know what? I'm, I'm unsatisfied with everything else. God, are you better? And he's like, oh, bro, I am so much more. I'm so much better. And I would love to show you. I would love to. But to the person who's like, I really love drugs. I don't think God's better than that. Show me your glory. God's like, huh? I didn't hear you. Because you don't really care. You still think there's something for you in your job, in your relationship, that, that is glorious. No glory compares to me. And we can't even begin to think something else is on an equal plane with God. He is far above more glorious than everything else. What is God's answer to Moses' plea 
to see his glory. Moses has a right heart. He, has, he, he knows God by grace. So God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So number one, if you want to know all that I am, Moses, you want to know how awesome I am, how worthy I am, how, uh, my worth, my glory, it's all about how good I am. You have to know how good I am to really know me. In other words, if you think that God is, is half good and half mean, you're never going to know God. And this help, helps, us, helps us put things like hell into perspective. Okay? Why is there a hell and why does God send people to hell? We have to be able to lay something on top of that that covers it, which is God's goodness. And then you will know him. If you think God is angry and, and mean and that's a part of who he is at people, that's not who he is. Hell is, must fit in to this truth that God is 100% good all the time. And it does, but not at first when you look at it. At first, you're like, how can there be a hell? But then you understand, because God is so good and so holy, that that un, unholy life cannot exist in his presence. It has to go to another place. And that's the definition of hell, is life separated from God. So, you have to know that I'm good. And Moses, because you've asked for to see my glory, I'm going to show you, number one, I am so stinking good. Everything about me is good. And you're going to taste and see the goodness of God. I'm going to give that to you, Moses. Pretty cool, right? Amen. All right. <laughs> then number two, he says, I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And as we've learned so many times, the name of God means his character. He says, if you want to know how valuable I am, it's really all about my character, knowing who I am, what I like, what I, what I am, what I, how I behave, and what is really inside my heart. Knowing God, Mo- Moses is going to get this answer from God. Then he says, I will be gracious to whom I'm ob- I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So the third thing Moses, God tells Moses is that I choose to be compassionate. I love to be loving. You have to know that, Moses. I am being compassionate on you. I am being gracious on you, not because you earned it and not because you're special, but because I love and I choose to be gracious and compassionate. I choose this. I choose this life of pouring out grace. It is not a burden to me. And you never convinced me to be nice to you, Moses. I love to be nice to you. I love to pour out grace upon you. What happens if someone doesn't believe that? What happens is they either get stuck in a cycle of having to try to prove themselves to God, God, please love me and give me your grace because look at what I did for you. Look at what I sacrificed for you. Look at what I gave up for you. And God's like, you don't know me. You would not be asking me in that way. 
I give grace and love because I choose it. And I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Now we could get into the discussion of has God chosen you or not chosen you, but let's not. Let's just say God's chosen you. He has chosen to love you. Not because you're good, not because you're family, not because you sacrificed anything for him, but because he sovereignly says, I love you. And I will, and this is something so vital, Moses. You have to know this about me to know how worthy and valuable I am is that I have chosen you to be my son. I, my son Jesus, I have raised you up with him and call you a co-heir with him, a, a brother with him. When I look at Jesus, I look at you next, and I, I love you both the same. I love you that much. God says, Moses, you must know this about me. I'm free to do whatever I want, and this is what I do. These things I do. I punish sin. These are things I have to do, God says. I have to punish sin. I have to run the universe. I have to make sure birds can eat in the snow. I, I had to make dinosaurs. These are things I have to do. I have to make sure that earth keeps spinning. But things I get to do, things I love to do, things I want to do, is give grace to undeserving people. That's God's beautiful choice. He doesn't have to do that, but he lovingly chooses to do that. In fact, he binds himself to a commitment to give grace to undeserving people. In the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we see his word, his promise that says, I will give grace to the... Say it again. Humble. I will. He's like, I love doing it so much, I'm going to make you a promise that I will do it. Well, doesn't that mean that he's not sovereign anymore? If I'm humble, he must give grace to me? No, he sovereignly chose to do this. It's his choice to give grace to whoever would humble themselves and look to him in faith. Isn't that cool? Do you see how these things, God has to punish sin, but he gets to give grace. He has to make the world run, but he gets, he loves to pour love out on his children. This character of God is, if it doesn't melt your heart, and if it doesn't show you the worth of Jesus Christ and God, I don't know what's going on in you, but we're hard if it doesn't. He has so much compassion. Look what he says. But I knew there had to be a trick. I knew God was pulling a fast one on us, right? He says, but, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Moses, I can tell you and show you these things, but Moses, I'm sorry, you can't really know me at the deepest level yet. Did you see what he said? He said, no man shall see me and live. Moses was sinful because all men are sinful. Moses knew that he could only experience God on the outside right now, and so he asked God, hey, could you show me with my eyeballs your glory? And God's like, hey, I would love to show you all about who I am. I love you. 
I am, com- I am gracious to you, but Moses, you can't handle me yet. You can't even handle me yet. This is where you and me and all of us in here who are believers are different from Moses. Because something really magical and crazy has happened with us. God has changed us from being men to being his children, sons of God. He has changed us from being just a man to being a born-again child of God. And that is literally a different entity than just man. And we're going to study that more in a minute. But, um, you know, Moses, he, he could see the treasure. He, he's going to be able to see this kind of glory of God. And it reminds me, you guys ever watch uh, DuckTales? Remember Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck? Right, And he had that big tower, and I loved it. I loved seeing this because in his big tower, he just had piles of money. And, in this, and what, he, what would he do? He would go, and he would go swimming in all the piles of gold, and you're just swimming all around. And that's what I feel like we get to be. Moses just got to see the piles of money, but we get to be people who dive in and, and swim in it. So I wanna, we're going to go back to our memory verse, our focus verse for today, which is Colossians 1.27. And I want you to remind you of this verse, and we're going to do this several times today. To whom God wi- to them God willed, who's them? It's us. To us, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when he mentions Gentiles, he's saying people who hated God and were rebelling against him their entire lives and have done everything bad you could possibly imagine. Gentiles. Us. And he's like, you guys, you get the hope of glory. And it is the most glorious thing, and I just got to know. We get the inside. We get to dive in where Moses, he only gets the outside because Moses was just a man. And we are a different race altogether. We are not just men. We are the bride of Christ, filled with the Spirit of Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's look at the way God does show Moses his glory because what it means for us and what it foreshadows for us is truly amazing. So God is going to show Moses his afterglow or or the glory kind of in a weird way, but what it shows for us is how God is going to work it out in our lives in reality. Because remember, all this stuff about Moses is really written for who? You. This is why it was written. The Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. Are you guys seeing like stuff already that's blowing your mind? So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you by my hand while I pass by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts in Hebrew, or my afterglow, and uh, my fa- but my face shall not be seen. Moses, or God is so kind to Moses right here. He answers the request of Moses uh, with all that, that Moses can handle, and, and more, really, um, without killing him. Because, again, if Moses were to see the face of God, God's holiness would, would be like fire and melt him, like, like in the Indiana Jones and in the... What is it, the 
the Ark of the Covenant, right? The, what's that one called? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, and remember he opened it and the holy, you know, like angels, like what, they look like demons, but the people just melted. That would have been Moses. And God's like, let's not do that today. You know, let's, I would love to answer you, but you can't handle it. So let's, let me figure out this way to sneak you in so you can see how wonderful and worthy I am, how glorious I am. And what we see here is that this is a beautiful image of how we have the hope of glory given to us. Okay, so let's, let's look what he says here. He says, I, I have a place by me. Did anyone notice those words? Here's a place right next to me. God's heart is so committed to a close relationship with us. He is, digs you. And he wants you to be close to him. None of his plans ever include you going far away from him. One of our favorite verses we talk about all the time is, we who were far off, he has brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? So a nearness to God. And in the New Testament, we're not just right next to God. We have what's called a united closeness. We are united and made one in, in spirit and heart with him. He says so much so that you have the mind of Christ. You can know what he thinks as you draw near and as you invest in this near relationship with God. God says that's where it starts. That's where it starts. He says, a place by me. Then he says, you shall stand on the rock. <laughs> How much more obvious and blunt can God be? Who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. He's always the rock. He was the rock with it. They hit and water came out. He's the rock in the New Testament. He's always the rock, right? So this obviously speaks of faith in Christ. Step number one, you could call it a close relationship, drawing near to God. Step number two is all that you stand on the rock. You stand by faith in Christ, not on yourself, not in your works, but in Christ and what he did. Guys, that song you sang about resting in him, it was amazing. Just get the words, and then we will all know it. <laughs> the words didn't work. You didn't know that, but the words didn't work. But it was beautiful. We loved it. So please sing it every day for like the next 10 weeks because I love that song. I'm half joking. I really like that song, though, so please do it more. Um, right? Amen, guys? Is that a good song? I, I love that. Okay. Faith in Christ is all that we can stand on. So you shall stand on the rock. Then he says, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand. Okay, so here God says, Moses, you're weak. You can't do this yourself. And so God provides for the weakness of his child to give him a blessing. He provides a place. He provides a ride to the place, the Uber, to the place. And he provides protection while he's in that place. So this is like our whole journey in life. He provides the place we're supposed to be. He provides the transportation, and he provides protection while we're there. These are things we can trust God in his sufficiency, not ours, right? Then, then he says, you know, what, what was the only job of Moses in this whole story? What was the whole job to, to see God's glory? Moses, what did he need to do? Just stay in the cleft of the rock. Just abide just remain there. What would happen if he would try to get out? He would die, right? There's no safety outside of God's protection and standing on the rock, okay? Oh, my life is so hard. Maybe 
I should stop trusting in Jesus and start trusting in myself, what's going to happen? You're going to get Ark of the Covenanted. You're going to get fried. You will die. There is no life outside of Christ, right? When Jesus Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. There, there is no life outside of him. So can you lose your salvation? I don't care. Why would you want to step outside of Christ? There is only death outside of Christ. All right. His whole job is to abide in the rock, and the rock is Jesus. Praise the Lord. So we learn uh, for us all that we really need to know uh, if you want to know the glory of the Lord, if you want to partake in the glory of the Lord, we, number one, ask like Moses. Number two, draw near. Draw near. Number three, you trust in Christ. Number four, you abide there. Stay there. And we should want it. But some of us don't really care. Some of us don't really want his glory that much because we're pretty satisfied with the glory of the the life that we have. We're, we're satisfied with our families. We're satisfied with our life. And God says, let me know when you finally give up, when you finally are done with it all, when you finally realize that nothing compares to me. Let me know, because I'll be here and I love you. But please don't let it be too late. Okay, so some of us are thinking, boy, I wish that I could have seen what Moses saw. Anyone think that? It would have been cool to see his shimmering afterglow, you know, the, the godly B.O. that was left after he walked by. <laughs> the G.O. <laughs> the God odor. I like that. I wish I could be that lucky, some of us think. Okay, well, you need to get ready. Okay, because what Moses experienced is not one millionth of what you guys get today. And I know that sounds weird because he actually saw it with his eyes. In fact, his skin started glowing for, for days or weeks. We don't even know. And, and it had physical ramifications on him. But as I look around this room, I see faces that are aglow with joy and inner peace. And I'm telling you guys, that is something Moses did not experience the way that it's offered to you, the way that you get it. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory, is something Moses never got. He never got to experience it. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word, who's who? Jesus. He became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God. So Jesus has the same glory God has. And so we get all the glory with Jesus. When we become united with him in his life and in his death, through believing and confessing him as our Lord, you get the glory. Now, we said at the beginning, is this the hope of glory or the feeling of glory? Right. But a lot of us want our feelings to change. We're looking for the feeling of glory. I'm telling you right now, it is not going to work that way. And as long as we hope in that, we're hoping not in the right thing. We're not hoping in Jesus and his truth. We're hoping in a feeling, which is not God. All right? 
The, uh, the next verse, in verse 17, it says, And of his fullness we have all received. We receive. He's full of grace and truth, but we receive his glory. So how do I get this glory, this glory from Jesus? How do, I, how do I receive it? How do we behold and receive his glory? Like Moses said, show me your glory. How am I going to see his glory today? Because I, this is 2018. This isn't back when Moses lived, and I need his glory today. I want, I, I realize all of life does not measure up to his value, so I need it, and I need it today. What do I do? Wrong question. You can't do anything. The Spirit will do it for you. The Spirit will do it for you. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the last part of the verse, it says, uh, being transformed, starting right there, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit will do a work in us to transform us and, and produce the glory of God inside us. Inside us, we are transformed by his spirit. Remember, God is spirit, right? God's invisible. His spirit's invisible. His glory is also invisible. His glory is invisible. But his spirit does all the work of transferring that glory to us. But look, the difference between us and Moses is he doesn't just show us the glory saying, look at what I have. Look how glorious I am. I'm God. But he transforms us into the same image so that we can experience his glory. How does that happen? God pours Christ into you like an empty cup. And then what comes out of you is glory. He pours Christ into you, and what comes out of you is glory. So when you wash the dishes for your wife, that is an expression of the glory of the very God who created this universe. And when you love and when you forgive and every expression that rises up out of a heart filled with Jesus Christ, those are true expressions of the real glory of Christ that Moses wished he could have seen. That kind of love. Was Moses loved by like anybody? on this earth, I bet there's a huge gaping hole in his heart of like, man, does everybody hate me? Except you, God? And I'm scared of you. Rightly so. So Christ, he pours Christ in you and what comes out of his glory and that is how you and I will experience. And this is why fellowship is so incredibly important to us as a family of believers. Because you guys will experience God's glory as you love each other. It goes back and forth. As you listen to each other, as you greet each other and ask, how are you doing? And you say, I'm, I'm hurting or I'm doing well, but th- I, I want God to do this. As we minister each other and point each other to Christ and his sufficiency, that is the glory of God in the most deepest level. He's pouring Christ in to our hearts and his glory is coming out. It's like putting caffeinated coffee into a sleepy mouth. You get energy and life. Again, our verse that we are memorizing today. To us, to them, 
God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it doesn't matter who you are, what kind of Gentile you are. God is willing to give you this glorious treasure. More than just show it to you like he did to Moses. More than that. He, he's giving you the very life of Christ. He is willing to give you the spirit um, the spirit that exists and is the most perfect being in the whole universe, God wants to place it in you. That's his desire. So how do we partake in this? How do we um, uh, apply this to our life today? We, we take the lessons that we learned from Moses here. Number one, we ask. We ask in humility and say, God, I need your glory. I need to see how valuable you are Every morning, I need to see more. I need to see more. And God will say, yes, here's more. Here's more. Asking him. Number two is drawing near. Drawing near to him. So once we ask him and say, God, show me your glory, then we have to open the word or meditate on the word and literally draw near in humility and faith and say, Lord, speak to me. Show me your glory. Show me what you're doing. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. It's not about me today. It's not about me. And when we surrender, that it's not about me every day. God says, now you've got it. You figured it out. It's not about you. It's about my kingdom, but I love you and I want to partner with you and I invite you to be a part of my kingdom, which is so much better than your kingdom. So today, I'm going to call you to serve people. I'm going to call you to pray for people and to intercede for people and to love people that are unlovable and to, and to forgive people who are unforgivable and to do all kinds of supernaturally impossible things. I'm calling you to do it. And I will supply everything you need. That's what we'll hear when we're about his kingdom. But when we're about our kingdom, you know what we hear? Nothing. Nothing. We open the Bible and it's blank. I read five chapters and I got nothing. There's one reason for that and one reason alone. We weren't surrendered to his kingdom. We weren't available for his will. We are still something is in our hearts that we are committed to our will and not his. What does it take to, to change that situation? Simple, humble repentance. God, I... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just so messed up. I'm so self-centered and self-thoughtful. God, I need you. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. I need to know it. I need to know how good you are. I need to know your name, and I need to know your gracious and loving actions in my life. Number three, you stand in the rock like Moses did. You trust in Christ. I'm gonna, I, okay, you've called me to love these people. You've called me to forgive these people. You've called me to serve these people. I'm going to stand in Christ, say, yes, I'll do it. I'm going to step forward, but I'm always staying, standing on Christ, trusting in him that he is going to supply my, what I need to do that. Because these people are awful. These people are mean, and they hate me. But standing in Christ, he will strengthen you. Make sense? And then the last thing was abide in that place. Just stay right there. Moses, just stay there until my hand takes it off and we take you to heaven, Right? I don't, you don't need anything else. Just remain with me. Abide with me. 